Okay, we're beginning here on the bottom of Memtet, Amud Bed, right after the Mishnah. Yesterday we read the statement of Shmuel, which is, Amr Shmuel, Olam It's better to include yourself, rather than to exclude yourself. In our Mishnah, we had seen two options for benching. One was Nivarech, which is including the individual who is making the request. The other possibility was Barchu, instructing the others to give bracha towards Hashem. And we saw in the Tosafot, why would you give preference to Baruch Hu Nevarech? Because Baruch Hu is a tzivui, something is a command, a direct command. Whereas Nevarech is more of a passive nitilat rishut. So despite that fact, Shmuel says that we're going to opt for you, including yourself, in the bracha. So of course, the question is our Mishnah. It's not. Omer Baruch Hu. Our Mishnah says when there are four people there, you say Baruch Hu. Ema af Baruch Hu. When you say Baruchu, it doesn't mean that that's what you should say. It means that you could say that. Nevertheless, Nevarech is better. Now the question of whether the Adif is in the Girsa or not. Because if the Mishnah says Baruchu, then they're giving the option to do Baruchu. Now is Nevarech on the same level as Baruchu, which is what it seems the Gemara is saying. You have two options, either Nevarech or Baruchu. And we're going to opt for Nevarech, because they're on the equal level, better to include yourself. Rashi does not have the girsa adif. Tosvot says, Labdavka adif. Doesn't mean really better. They're equal. And he shows that there are other places in Shas where the word adif is used not to mean preferential or better, but on an equal plane. And so that's what it means over here. So, Nevarech is the same level as Baruchu. Therefore, if you're on an equal plane between Baruchu and Nevarech, you should opt for the one that includes you, because that's a better outcome. We have a Mishnah. When it comes between six and ten people, they can break up into multiple Chaburot of three. If you suggest that Nevarech is on an equal plane with Baruch Hu, that makes sense. If you take six people and you split them into two, that means you get three and three. If you think that Baruch Hu is better, then how could you have six people break up into three and three? That means you've eliminated the ability to say Baruch Hu now. You'd want to keep it only at eight, would you be able to split up? Because then you'd have four and four, and you'd be able to say Baruch Hu. The fact that you could split up at six and go to three and three is an indication that the Varech is just as good as Baruch. Shemachit nechlakim, eleiyamar Baruch Hu adif, amai nechlakim. Elav shemamina, and the Varech adif, shemamina. And the Varech is better equal to Baruch Hu. And again, we're going to opt for the Varech because that includes you in the bracha, like the statement of Shmuel. We have a brayta that supports this. Whether you said baruchu or nevarech, we don't stop you on that. They don't jump on him to stop him. The people who are very midaktik on every little detail, they stop on this because the proper, the better way to say it is the way a person makes his brachot, we are aware of the fact that they are a tamar chacham or not. Ketzad. What are these options? Rabbi Omer, uv tuvo. When you bench, and you say the lashon of uv tuvo, that's the proper way to do it, that's a tamar chacham. Umi tuvo. But if you say mi tuvo, or is it bur? That's someone who is ignorant. The difference being... That when you say Baruch Shachal Mishlo Uv Tuvo Chayinu Uv Tuvo means all of his goodness. Mi Tuvo means some or part of his goodness. I'm a buyer of Dimi Vaktiv. So doesn't it say in the pasuk? 
when Hashem is informing David that he will not build the Mikdash, but rather his son. And he says all these wonderful things about Malchut Beit David. David concludes the response to what Hashem says. It says, And from your bracha you should give to Beit Avadecha, the house of your servant. So over there, here a person is making a request to give a bracha. And when he makes the request to the king, he says, Mi birkatcha. That isn't the proper way to ask. You're supposed to say, U birkatcha, not U mi birkatcha. So my says, wait, the old one, Bishayla Shiny, says, wait a minute, that's when a person is making a request. When you're beseeching or making a request, you don't ask for the whole kid in Kabuldo. You just ask for a little bit. You say, Umir birkatcha, can I have a little bit of the bracha? You don't overstep your bounds. And when you're making requests, that's okay. But when you're praising, when you're giving Sheva for Hodah, then you go all out. And you say, Uv tuvo, and not Mi tuvo. Bishela Namiktiv. By Sheila it also says, Harchev picha v'amaleyu. Open up your mouth wide, v'amaleyu, and I will fill it with bracha. Kumar says, Hello, b'divrei Torah ktiv. That's not really written by bracha, that's written by divrei Torah. That's different. When we're dealing with divrei Torah, that's a different request than making a request for some personal benefit. Some personal goodness that the king will bestow upon you, over there you have to be shy, you have to be reticent, you have to do it in a way that it's not asking for everything. But when it comes to Torah, there we say, fill all of my wants, all of my desires, when it comes to Torah, that's a fair request. That's okay to ask it in that manner. That is proper. Chaim Arizebur. But instead, if you use Chaim instead of Chayinu, that's someone who is ignorant. So Rashi explains why. It's the same problem we have with Baruch versus Nevareich, which is the Otsiyot's moment at Klaam. Zay Shacham Mishlov Tubo. Chayinu, Chayinu means all of us, all of our lives. But if you say, Mi Tubo, Mi Chayim, it sounds like it's from your lives, or from the lives, not from yourself included. So that's why there's a difference. Narblai Matne Ipcho. And Arblai had it just the opposite. They switched it between Chayinu and Chayim. is not like them. Proper way to say this is The one that we ate from, that is someone who is ignorant. So again, the difference being Sounds like God is the only one. And the Varech, the Shano Mishalo, we're eating from that which He grants us. On the other hand, if you write it, the Mi, Shachano Mishalo, sounds like there are multiple people. And this happens to be one of the people that you are praising. I mean, Hashem is one of many. And therefore, we're giving praise, the Mi, Shachano Mishalo, to the one that we ate from. Or, the other possibility is that He's directing it towards the Balabait. Doesn't sound like you're directing it to Hashem, but rather towards the Balabait. So, the Varech, Shachano Mishalo, is Clearly directed at Hashem, and only the one Hashem. There's nobody else who gives. And already you enter in this idea, the mi shechal no mishalo. The mi already says one of many. So that can mean God is one of many, or it can mean that we're referring to the balabait, who's also a giver, or the one who granted you food here. So that would be inappropriate. So Amar lei, Ravach abrei the Rav, the Ravashiv, Amrinan, the mi she'asa lavoteinu velanu et kol anisim ha'edo. Don't we say in the Haggadah, so over there you do use the term lemi. So that if the term lemi is problematic, then why are you using it over here? 
Over there, it's clear that the reference or the antecedent to the me is a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Because the context in which you're reading it is clearly it's talking about Hashem. Man Abid Nisei. Who's the one who makes miracles? Who does miracles? It's got to be Hashem. So then when you say, it's clear that you're referencing Hashem and no one else. On the other hand, in our case, it's not clear what the context is. Because there is no mention of Hashem's name. You just say, the me, the me over there is not defined. Rabbi Yochanan says, if you say, that's the right way to say it. For the food that we ate, that is problematic. Again, because you didn't say from him, from a Kodesh Baruch Hu. Again, you're lacking a reference point, and therefore someone could interpret to refer either to another power or to the Balabayit. And then Rabuna Abrei the Rabbi Shua says, That's only true when you're only using three. Once you have ten and you say Elokeinu, then you no longer have this problem. Because once you add in Elokeinu, it's like the case in that Gada, where it's clear who you're referring to. Because if you say Baruch Elokeinu She'achalnu, then you know you ate from Elokeinu. Mishalah would be unnecessary at that point, because of course Mishalah is from Elokeinu. And the other thing, the other thing is true, I think, as well, which was the previous statement, which is, if you say Baruch Elokeinu, the Mishachal Mishalol, even though it's not good grammar, that if you said it in that way, the Mi would also not be problematic in that sense, because it'd be referencing the Elokeinu, and so therefore, there where it's Mochamilsa, it's not such a big deal. And this is like the Mishnah that we said, the way that he leads, they answer. Baruch Hashem, okay, Israel, okay, Tzfakot, Yoshev Karim, Alamazon, Shechalnu. So whatever the leader leads with, Nevarech, Shechalnu, Mishalo, then they respond, Baruch, Shechalnu, Mishalo. Or, Nevarech, Lelokeinu, Shechalnu, Mishalo, they can say, Baruch, Lelokeinu, Shechalnu, Mishalo. So whatever he leads with, they follow. And again, if you're using Elokeinu, once you have Elokeinu in there, the reference, or who you're speaking about is clear. Once it's clear, then some of these nuances aren't as important. The me, Shalo, those aren't as important anymore because it's clear who the reference is. And that's why in the Mishnah it says, Baruch Hashem Elokei Yisrael Okei Tzvakot Yushem Kuvim Alamazon Shechalnu. And it does not have Mishalot there because Mishalot is not necessary when you already know the context of whom you're speaking about because the lead-in was Hashem Elokei Yisrael Okei Tzvakot Yushem Kuvim. It's very clear. We need Mishalot really when we don't have that Muchacham Milta. We still say it in the proper way. When we say, we say, because there's no reason not to use the better Lashon, even when using Elokeinu. So therefore, our bracha follows the pattern or all the suggestions that are made here of a Tamur Chacham, which is that we use Uvtuvo, Chayinu, Mishalo, and Mishachalnu Mishalo, not the Mishachalnu Mishalo. Echad Asarav, Echad Asarav Ribo. So the Mishnah says that it doesn't make a difference whether you have 10 or 100,000. Where it says, The Mishnah seems to have a non-sequitur. It first says, Say this for three, this for ten. Then it says, From ten to a hundred thousand makes no difference. And it just goes on. It says, For ten you do this, for a hundred you do this, for a thousand you do this, ten thousand you do this. I thought you just said there's no difference between ten and a hundred thousand. So how come the Mishnah breaks with that statement and then goes on to say just the opposite of what that statement says? So the Gemara says, Well, there's different authors to our Mishnah. The Mishnah includes both the opinion of Rabbi Yossi Aglili, 
and Rabbi Akiva. And that's what it says. There's no difference. You say with a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, you say something different. is the author of the opinion that differentiates. Rabbi Kiva is the author of the opinion that says there is no differentiation. The Tanan, our Mishnah continues to say, That's what the Mishnah says, that Rabbi Yosei gives the reason why at different numbers you change the way you make the bracha. So, Rabbi Kiva, what does he do with the Pasuk of Makelot, he violated Ketanya, he needs it for the bright. How do we know that? Even fetuses inside their mother's womb saying Shira on the Yam. Shnemar makelot varchu elokim Hashem mimkor Yisrael. So mimkor means from the mikor. Mikor is another word for the rechem, for the womb. So makelot varchu elokim, the multitudes gave bracha to Hashem mimkor Yisrael, even when they were in the mikor, even when they were in the womb. Vidach. And Rabbi Yosef has both limudim. He'll say, I learned that out from mimkor. That's the one limud about the fetuses. And the other limud is from the beginning of the Pasuk, which is that when multitudes, the numbers change, there's different ways to give bracha to Hashem. We don't differentiate once we reach over the number of ten. They went to the house of the Exilarch. Rabchama was going around to make sure that he had a hundred. You know, like when you go around trying to make sure you have a minion, he was making sure that he had a hundred people there so he could say the you don't have to do that. The is like Rabbi Akiva, and therefore ten and a hundred make no difference. We ate or broke bread with the exilarch. We broke up into smaller groups of three and three and benched and did zimun together. And that's problematic because they had a much larger group. They had a larger group. They already had reached the point of Shem Hashem. They had Shem Hashem of ten. How could they break down to groups of three and three? So that's Gemara asks. Levarchu Yud Yud. They should broken up into groups of tens. So Shama Reij Galuta Ve'Ikved. That the Reij Galuta would hear them doing this, and they'd get upset that they were benching by themselves. Not proper etiquette. It was not proper for them to bench in that way. Benifku Be'Birkatad the Reij Galuta. Then why are they allowed to break up at all? If that's the case, you can't just say because the Reij Galuta was Makbid, so therefore they did three and they gave up the ability to Zimun with the Shem Hashem. Why were they doing that then? They should wait around. The problem was that there were too many people. There was too large a group there, and therefore, they did not hear it. They couldn't hear the benching. They didn't have a microphones in those days. So the person who led the benching, when he had such a large group of individuals, they couldn't hear the benching. So Mimon of they weren't going to be Yiltzeh, because they're not going to hear the person who's benching when he said the Shem Hashem. So better for them to do a Zimun by threes, Instead of doing a zimun with the greater group where they wouldn't hear it, they wouldn't be a part of the zimun. People. Yes, yeah, close to Oh, no, but that was the problem that the Rej Galuta would hear it and he'd get very upset. He wouldn't allow them to do that. He heard that they were breaking off and but doing it by themselves. Everybody together, that's the proper etiquette in the meal. He invites you over to have a meal with them, you bench with them. The fact that you would break away and do your own thing, that was considered to be inappropriate. Right, you should have done 10 and 10. The problem was that in the circumstance they couldn't do ten because of the hakpado of the Reish Galuto. So therefore they had to opt for three and three. Why didn't they stay with the group? Is because they wouldn't have gained anything by staying with the group because they wouldn't have heard the, the Zimun. So Amarabha Tosfa, Hani Gimel, the Krache, Riftabadode, three people break bread together. Kodim Chad Minayu Borich, Ladate. One of them goes ahead and benches by himself. Inu Nafkin Bizimun Diday. 
So then they can have a zimun. The three of them have a zimun. They are yotzei. The two that did not bench yet, they're yotzei the zimun. But he doesn't gain the zimun. Can't do a zimun retroactively. If you benched already, retroactively you can't do the zimun. So Tzvi says, what are you talking about? How can they do it one way, not the other? That's the difficulty here. We don't pass in this way, the halacha, which is, right. Since he was obligated zimun, the two could, can include him in their zimun, even though he has benched already. But it won't work the other way around. What you're pointing out is that there's an inconsistency here. If he can't do zimun the mafreya, then it should be no good for him and no good for them. And that's the way we pass in the halacha. If someone benches, there's no zimun the mafreya, that means they can't be included for either party. They're not good either way. Rabbi Tosva wants to differentiate and say that this person loses out for themselves because they benched already, but the other two do not lose out because there was an obligation that devolved upon all three of them at once. He can't walk away from them. So he can't walk away from them. He can't not have their chiyuv be discharged. Again, we don't pass in this way the halacha. Rabbi Bar Papa Ikla the Beikinista the Abigiver went to the shul in this location. Come Korob Sifra. He went up and he was reading in the Sefer Torah, Vamar Bachuat Hashem, Vishtik. said Bachuat Hashem and didn't finish off. Vamar Hamivorach. He didn't add the extra word Hamivorach. Abshu Kulu Yamot. The response from the people was, Bachuat Hashem Hamivorach. Amarova, Patio Ukma, you black cauldron, you black kli. Vahadi Plukto Lomloch. What are you sticking your head into this Machokat? In Rabbi Shmuel, Rabbi Kiva argue in the Mishnah about whether you should say Baruchot Hashem or Baruchot Hashem in Mevorach. So why are you sticking your head in there and trying to do like Rabbi Akiva and say just Baruchot Hashem? Do like Rabbi Shmuel, Baruchot Hashem and Mevorach. Vod Hanogamak Rabbi Shmuel. On top of that, the Minah Olam already is like Rabbi Shmuel to say Baruchot Hashem and Mevorach. So why are you sticking your head in there? Plus you're going against the Minah Olam. In terms of sticking your head in there. We know that Rabbi Kiva agrees to the position of Rabbi Shemal. Rabbi Kiva says, Baruch Hashem works. But he doesn't disagree with Rabbi Shemal that Baruch Hashem and Barach is just as good or not better. So why are you opting to say Baruch Hashem if you can say Mivarach and then you'll say L'chola Delot. Plus, that's the Minagolam. So why opt out? Also, Tosafot points out yesterday the importance of saying Amivarach. Because over here, Lo Nichlala When you say Baruch that's what we said in the Mishnah that Shemal doesn't like. He wants you to say Nivarach. Rather than Baruchu. But over here we're saying Baruchu at Hashem. But when you say Hamivorach, you're including yourself in that because you're saying Hamivorach, which includes you. And so Tosvot says that's the importance of Mivorach in this case. Gimel, Shachlu, Kachat. Three people eat together. Einan, Rishayim, Lechalek. They can't break up. Lechain Dalet, Lechain Chamisha. You can't do it. Four or five. Three, four, five. They have to stay together because they have a Zimun and they can't break up the Zimun. Vav, Nechlakim, Adasara. From 6 until 10, meaning 6, 7, 8, 9, they can break up into smaller groups of 3. And that's what we proved before, that there's no difference between 3 and 4, because here the Mishnah says you can break up 6 into 2 groups of 3. Asara in Echlakim Adchaf. If you have 10 people, you can't break them up until you have 20, because then they can break up into groups of 10. Because so once you reach 10, you have an obligation to say the Shem Hashem. If you break down into smaller groups, you won't have the Shem Hashem anymore. You have two groups eating in a single house. When part of each group can see each other, they are mitzraif to a single zimun. They have to bench and to do zimun separately. You can't make a bracha on wine until you put water in it, until you dilute it. The chumim say you can't be mivarei. 
Okay, Micah Mashulan. What is our Mishnah teaching us? Tanina Chadazimna. We already had the previous Mishnah, which said, Gimel Shachluk Echad Chayvim Lezamein. Three people eat together are obligated to do a Zimun. All our Mishnah says it formulates it in the negative form. Before it was in the positive form, which is three who eat together must bench together. But now all it says is, three people who eat together may not break up. So why do you have to say the same thing twice? Once in the positive form, once in the negative form. So Mar says, Akamashmulan, Kihad Amarabi Ava Bashmua, Gimel, Shiyashvula Cholka Achat, Badayan Loachlu, Inan Rishayim Lechalik. Three people sit down together to eat, even though they have not eaten yet, they are not able or they are not permitted to break up anymore. The Kviyot Suda is enough. Discussed this in the beginning of the parak. There is a major, major machlokat Rishonim over here about what is considered to be a kviyut. What makes you into a party of three that you can't break up anymore? So some say simply, like Pashup Shah here in the Gemara, sitting down. Three of you sit down together, that's enough. Others say it means making the brach of Amotzi together. You have to make a brach of Amotzi together in order to force the zimun and say you can't break up. Others say you have to actually eat something. We'll see, because there are other alternatives here to what the Chiddush is. You actually have to eat something together. And again, to be mitzvah to the zimun, the Rishonim also discussed, do you have to start the meal together? Do you have to end the meal together to make it a zimun? Or is it enough that you just get together for the bracha? Which seems to be the sheet of Rashi earlier on, that simply if you all show up and you're ready to bench together, that's enough. So how much connection do you need between the parties in order to make a zimun, in order to abrogate a zimun? And as a machlokat Rishonim, over here you see one of the extremes, which is, even when you just sit down together, and you're koveya suda together, that's enough to abrogate you in a zimun. Okay, and most of the Rishonim, the Rabbeinu Yonah and others say here, it means that you have to make a brach of a motzi at least. You have to do something that makes you a party together. But that is very little that obligates you in terms of putting you together. I mean, even eating a morsel together, you're already obligated because you started the meal together. So other possibilities are, Even though each one of them eats from their own loaf of bread, they're breaking their own bread, they're not allowed to break up. So here again, there's another Chiddush here, which is that even though they're eating from their own food, they're not sharing in anything that's on the table. There's no joint meal but together. In fact, the simple fact that they're sitting together is enough to obligate them in the Zimon or to make them a single unit. So this often comes up with, for instance, at dining rooms, yeshivot. When you go to eat in the yeshiva, everybody's taking their own tray, everybody comes to sit down together. Are you classified as a zimun or not classified as a zimun? Is the whole dining room considered to be one unit or not? So this relates to these questions of when you sit down and what the intent of an individual sits down is. Are they really intending to join with everybody in the dining room? Or are they simply eating with the couple of people that's around them? Or even if they're sitting with the people around them, they can leave, people leave and come to the table independently with their own trays, with their own food. This relates to this question of when is it considered a zimun? Inami. The other Chiddush, possible Chiddush from our Mishnah is Gihad Ravuna. That which Ravuna said, Dam Ravuna, Three people who come from three different Chaburot, they cannot break up. So Rashi explains, this is based on the next line, Amar of Chista, Sometimes they came from three different groups of three. They had three groups of three, and each of these people broke away from that group. And now they joined together Without eating. They haven't done anything together. They just come together. They come together, they can bench. Because they were already chayam and zimun. When they were together with their old groups. And when they get together, they still have to discharge that obligation of zimun. And Rashi says, Even they do nothing together. Even they eat nothing together, they still have to bench together to discharge their obligation as a zimun. 
And the difficulty with this, right? So the difficulty with this is that they've dropped the other people. The other two people now are left without a simon. So that's the story with the other people that they left behind. And second of all, is that enough to simply show up together and be together? Why is that enough? So again, this comes back to the machuk rishonim about what is considered a tzivu. Some of the rishonim are going to argue that you have to eat something together. You have to do at least something together. Rashi. Again, seems to indicate that it's enough just to be together for the bracha. That's enough to make you into a zimun. You don't have to do anything else besides come together to be, make the bracha brikat amazon. That makes you already a zimun. Others are going to require you to eat. Rashi specifically says, afilu lo achlu. But not all the Rishonim are going to agree to that. Other Rishonim are going to say, you're going to have to eat in order to be together. Now, the other problem is what David raised, which is that you left all the people behind. The other groups, you're leaving them behind. So that's another question about the Rishonim. How many people are in the other groups? Rashi indicates that there are three people in the other groups and this person breaks away. There are others like Rabbi Chilmi Paris who suggests that there are four people in the other groups and you're breaking away and leaving three behind. So when you leave those three behind, then you get together in the middle. The problem is the next line in the Gemara. The next line in the Gemara, if you explain this part of the Gemara in an easier or more plausible way, the next part of the Gemara becomes much more difficult. So Rashi's explanation makes the next part of the Gemara easier to explain. But then all the Rishonim are going to say about Rashi, Pshita. The next line of the Gemara is so, is, is clear. Which is, Amarava, Velo Amran Eludlo Akdimu Hanach, Vizmon Alayub Dichtayu. That's only true if the others that they left behind don't bench with them. They already benched based on them, then the Zimon goes away. So, we'll continue with Rashi's explanation, although it's not clear that Rashi continues the explanation. He seems to jump. Trump issues here. Rashi seems to say there are four left in the other group now, all of a sudden. But, leaving that aside, let's assume that there were three in the original group. One in each group, one person leaves. So the two that are left behind, they want a bench. We saw earlier in the parak that you're allowed to call out to the one, the third one, and he answers. So you can force the third one to answer you, and they make a zimun. So that's what they did. The two people left behind, they benched with a zimun. And they made the third person bench and answer to them. So even though the third per- so now the third person answered, once he answered, right, he's already done with his zimun. So when he comes together with the three again, you can't make another zimun. can't double up your zimun. Now, the, that's the one explanation of this Gemara. Now, that fits well with Rabba. It's an easy way to explain Rabba. But, what's the problem? The problem is Pshita, of course. If you made a zimun with the group that you left, then why should you be able to make a zimun when you got together again? Now, if you eat again, okay, that makes sense. Because then you're starting a new meal. It's as if you started a new meal. So maybe over there you would have to bench. Then you're going to say, maybe there's a chiddush here. But for the way Rashi explained it before, that you're not eating together. You simply got to, you were three originally, you left them behind, there's two behind, and they benched, and they included you. Why would there be any havamino to say that over here you should have to bench together in the middle? For that reason, Rav Chilmi Paris goes the other way, which is Rav Chilmi Paris says that the original group had four. The original group has four, you break away. So they're left behind, they can bench without you. Now, when they bench without you, so fine, you get together in the middle, you make a zimun. All of a sudden, Rova comes and says, wait a minute, if those three people bench without you, you're out of a zimun. So that's a huge chiddish. Rokhilmi Paris makes Rova into an unbelievable chiddish. Rokhilmi Paris says that if you were originally part of a group before, you leave that group and they bench without you, you lose your zimun. You lose your obligation of zimun. Your obligation of zimun was together with them. And since you were together with them, when they do the zimun, you're done. Your zimun, your obligation of zimun is gone. So it'll only work if you bench before them. If you leave, each of you leaves your group of four, comes to the middle, or come together. If you bench then, you're fine. Because you're before they bench the zimun of your original group. 
But if your original group makes a zimun, you're out. Your zimun's over. So that's Rabbi Chilmi Paris. Now again, Rabbi Chilmi Paris makes it easier to understand the first Gemara when you left the group of four. I understand now, because you left three behind. It's fine. But now in the Chiddush of Rava, it becomes a massive Chiddush. That when three people bench, and you were a part of that group originally, you lose your zimun. Alright, that might be questionable. If you eat something with a new group, that might be different. But, that's not the way we're explaining it right now. Right now we're explaining that you simply get together. It's still amazing. What's amazing is that you've lost your obligation of Zimun, even though you didn't participate in the Zimun. You did nothing. You weren't in the Zimun. And yet, you're going to lose your Zimun. So the Rebbeinu Yonah brings down both Rashi's Pshat and the Rebbe Chiyomi Paris's Pshat. He brings both of them down. And he says, that's difficult to say that. So he explains like this idea in Rashi, although he claims Rashi is like Rabbi Kilmi Paris here. But nevertheless, he explains this idea that there were three originally, and the original two that he they left behind benched with them. So then what's the Chiddush? The Rabbeinu Yuna comes up with this in-between type of case. Which is that you have to, if you hear the zimun, the t- other two can be yotze with that zimun. But you had no intention to be yotze with that. So even though, cause you had no intention to be yotze, despite that fact, you lose your ability to make the zimun. Even though you had no intention to be yotze with that zimun, nevertheless, if the two include you in their zimun, you lose it. And even though we said earlier in the barracks, right, if two want to leave, and there's one there, you stop, and you do the zimun. And everybody's yotze with that zimun. That's only because he was sitting with them. That's the Kiddush of the Rebbeinu Yonah. That you have to be seated with the zimun to be yotze with the zimun. They call you and you're in the shuk. And they're including you for the zimun. Even though you hear, you answer and you hear it. They are yotze the zimun. You are not yotze the zimun. Because you're not sitting there. Despite the fact that they are not Yosef the Zimun, you cannot go and bench again because you lost your Chiyub of Zimun. And that's the way the Rabbeinu Yonah explains it. So those are three ways to explain this Gemara about what the Chiddush is. Either the Chiddush is, and it's not such a big Chiddush then, that the people broke away from groups of three. They came together in the middle. Over there, the Chiddush, according to Rashi, is that you don't have to eat anything. You don't have to do anything. You simply get together and then you can bench together. What happens to the people you left behind? That is problematic in that shot. Rava says, if you already benched with the group, the original group, meaning that they called out to you, included you, you're out of luck. If Rav Chilmi Paris, who says the original groups were made up of four, and you left those groups of four, got together and benched, fine. The Chiddush is in Rava. Rava says, if they already benched, the th- group of three that left behind benches, you lose out your ability to bench. Even though now you're together and you never benched with a Zimun, you still can't be a Zimun. That's Rav Chilmi Paris. Rabbeinu Yonah is a play on that first explanation, which is, it's three and they called out to you to bench to join them. Rabbeinu Yonah says the Chiddush is that you're not Yotze. The person they call out to is not Yotze the Zimun. Despite the fact that you're not Yotze the Zimun, you can't make a new Zimun. Because you already joined the first group, your obligation dissolved with the first group, and you can't make a new Zimun here. Again, Rashi explains in all these cases, it's a case where they got together and didn't eat together. Obviously, if you ate together, the story would be differently. If they all came together and then ate again, that might obligate you separately with the new group and not simply rely on the zimun from the original group. Right? How can I prove to you this idea that once the original group benches and does the zimun, that it eliminates the chiyuv or the obligation on the people who left? It's not. Mita shenignava chetia, osha avda chetia, you have a bed that's tamei. 
half of it was stolen, or half of it was lost. Or was divided up in his state. Or partners broke it up. Torah. It's tahor. And that it no longer functions as a bed. A kli that is tamay, if it no longer functions with the utility that it had before, it loses its tumah. So to over here, the bed's not functioning as a bed. You took half the bed here, half the bed there. It's tahor. And now what happens? They put it back together. You put it back together, it's not the tumah comes back. And now it's a kli again. It's a utensil that has utility. Now that the utensil has utility, it can be makabal tumah. But it's only prospectively. It doesn't become Tameh again from the original Tumah. Prospectively, yes. Retroactively, not. Alma, from what do you conclude? When you break up the bed, the Tumah goes. Same thing in our case. When you break up the Zimun, and they already made the Zimun, your obligation goes, even if you're not there, even if you're not included. So for Rabbi Chilmi Paris, that means that if three people bench. And you were the fourth person, you're out of luck now. You can't be discharge your zima with other people. Even if they came from other groups, they were obligated because they broke up the zima. Your original group broke up. When they broke it up, the obligation dissolves, just like the bed, when it's broken, loses its shame tumah. And when you put it back together again, it doesn't become tamay like it used to be. It's only prospectively. So, so to over here, when this group of three gets together, there's only a prospective zima, not a retroactive zima over here. Okay, and according to Rashishi and others that explain that we're talking about a group of three, coming from three, it's obvious that if you bench with the first group, that your zimun is gone. The Chiddush of the Bein Yonah will be, even though you were not Yotze, you lose your ability to make a zimun. Beit Chaburot. says in our Mishnah that you have two groups of individuals in a single house. Tosafot points out over here, it does not have to be in a single house, but even be in two houses. That they're eating, Tanam Yeshamash Benehem, Shamash Mitzarfan. If you have someone serving the meal, and he's serving both groups, even though they cannot see each other. Since the service is common between them, they can bench together, assuming they can hear each other. Assuming that when one group benches, the other group can hear, then they can become like a single unit for benching. They're not obligated to become a single unit, but they can. It's given the option of being a single group, because the shamash, the one who's serving them, is mitzteref them, brings them together into a single unit. So as Tosfa points out, that could be within a single house, or even within two houses. If you have two neighboring houses, and their shamash is working between both of them, then they can join together as long as they can hear each other when they are mivarech. Okay, The mission says you don't make a bracha on yayin. Tamar banan. Yayin, Until you put water, until you dilute the wine. The wine chai is very strong. It needed to be diluted. Until you dilute it, you don't make a bracha bori pregofen because it hasn't left its original state and therefore you make a bori pregofen. Now here there's a girsa question. Argbar reads, and you can use it for Nitilat Yadayim because it's simply May Peirot. And May Peirot you can use for Nitilat Yadayim. Once you put water into it, then you can make a bracha And then you can't use it for Nitilat Yadayim anymore because it's Yayin. Doesn't matter whether it's Yayin Chai, if it's undiluted wine or diluted wine, you make a Bori And either way, you do not wash your hands with it. Come on, Azloha, Adam Shmuel. Who does this member of Shmuel go like? Ose Adam Kotzrochabapat. Person can use bread for whatever utility he wants. Not just for food, not just for eating. Come on, Rabbi Eliezer. That's like Rabbi Eliezer, because we saw before that Rabbi Eliezer says you can use wine for washing your dime. Now, the question is about the girsa here. You can see the little aleph, which is the gra. Rashi over here brings an alternative girsa from the bahag. And he rejects the girsa, because he says, I checked up on the bahag. Bahag had a different girsa. It seems Bahag got the girsa from the Tosefta. 
But Rashi says, I went and looked in the Tosefta, and the Tosefta has the same exact Kirsa as our Gemara. The Gra says, the problem is that the Tosefta also has the wrong Kirsa. He says he can prove it from the Yushami that the Kirsa is backwards here. And the way it should read is, when it comes to wine that is undiluted, undiluted wine, you make a bracha, boy and ain not leave me a dime, and you're not allowed to wash your hands from it. If you dilute the wine, then it becomes bari priya gofen, and you can, C-A-N, you can wash your hands with that wine. And then the Chachamim say, Ben Kachu, Ben Kachu, you cannot wash. What's the makok between Rabbi Lezer and the Chachamim? The makokus is whether you're allowed to use food for utility besides eating. Rabbi Lezer says you can use wine to pour on your hands to wash with, because it's one of the mashkim. It's one of the seven mashkim. You can use it for washing and utility daim. May peyrot you can't, but... Yayin you can. The Chachamim come along and say you can't use Yayin, not because it's an out of mashka, but because it's Ibud Ochlim. You're wasting food. And now that I waste food. And that's the continuation of the Gemara. The next piece of the Gemara makes a lot more sense when you read it with this Girsa. Because the Gemara asks, who does the statement of Shmuel go like that? You can do whatever you want with bread. You can use it for every utility you want, even not eating. My says like Rabbi Lezik. Because Rabbi Lezik doesn't believe you can use food for things besides eating. Wine, you can wash your dime with wine. Bread, you can use it for whatever you want. The Chachamim disagree. And that's why the Gemara posed the question in that manner. So again, Rashi has a girsa of the Bahat that says what the Gerard just said now. He rejects that girsa. Tosafot also rejects the girsa. But the Gerard insists that that's the proper girsa based on the Yushalmi. And again, it makes a lot more sense in the continuation of the Gemara if you have the girsa that way. Because then the question of the Gemara makes sense in the continuum. Who's the author of the position that you're allowed to use food for things other than eating? That's Rabbi Lezer, because we just proved it from the previous piece. It's a kosho bracha that you're going to make, or you're going to bench on, that you're going to say, Abdullah on, they agree they have to dilute it. You don't make the bracha until you put water in it. You want the best. Let agree that wine that's undiluted is not as good as diluted wine. They still think it's wine, they just don't think it's the best wine. When it comes to kosho bracha, we want it to be the Best. Mitzvah mina mufkar. Rabbanan the Maichazi. According to Rabbanan, what is undiluted wine good for? It's good for a koraiti, which is some sort of species of, of dates that I guess they used to mix the wine with the dates, and therefore it was good as a food for that. It had utility with these dates, and that's why you make a bracha on it. Tosavot says, Kibbechein alocha, that is the alocha. And he brings the Gemara in Psachim that says, Shatan chai, if you drink the Arba Kosot chai, undiluted, yatsa, that you're yotze. So you see that undiluted wine is classified as wine, and you're yotze with it, but it's not mitzvah, mina muvchar. It's not the best way to do the mitzvah. Tarabanan, dal dvarim nemruva pat. There are four things that were said about bread. Eminichim basar chai alapat, you cannot put raw meat on bread. Beimavrin kosmalei alapat, you should not pass a full glass of liquid above over the pot. You don't throw the bread. You don't put your plate or the serving dish on top of the bread. The basic idea that pot is chashuv. It's very important. It's significant. And we don't want it to go to waste. All these things can cause it to go to waste. If you put raw meat on the bread, it'll become soggy and disgusting. Nobody will eat it. You pass liquid over the bread. You spill the liquid. The bread will no longer be edible or appealing. You don't throw the bread because maybe it'll get messed up, it'll fall on the floor, it'll get into something dirty. And you don't put a kara, you don't put a serving dish on top of it again for the same problems. They broke bread together, the three of them. They brought in front of them fruits, dates, and pomegranates. 
Rezuch took a piece of meat and he threw it in front of Ravashi. He threw it to Ravashi. Don't you subscribe to the bright in Zokimet Ochlim? You're not supposed to throw food. What are you throwing food for over here? He says, oh, the says, that's written about bread. You can't throw bread because bread is chosh. But any other item you can't throw. If another bright that says explicitly, just like you can't throw bread, you can't throw any food. Then we have an opposite bright. Even though you cannot throw bread, you're allowed to throw other foods. How do we reconcile between the two brightos? It depends on whether the item will become disgusting by throwing it. Solid items that, when they're thrown, do not become mushy, do not get messed up, that you're allowed to throw. Items that will become mushy, disgusting, inedible, uh, less appealing when you throw them, like soft fruits and such, there you're not allowed to throw them. Again, bread you can't throw in any instance. Generally, it was brought separately to each of them. It seems like he had a piece of meat that he wanted to give to Ravashi. Sounds like, I don't know the exact circumstance, but that's what it sounds like happened here. So he ended up throwing it. Generally, we don't do this, and the Gemara is going to bring proof to this, that when there are issues of the food getting ruined, like falling on the floor today, where someone may not eat it after it falls on the floor, then obviously you can't throw. It's just not respectful or respect towards the food. The Gemara says, You're allowed to pour wine down the pipes in front of the Chatan and Kala. It was a type of entertainment, expression of a Mazel Tov, of Shef, of a cornucopia, of pouring wine through the pipes in front of the Chatan and Kala. As Raja points out here, because they used to have a collection bin at the bottom, they used to collect the wine. So the wine wasn't going to Ibud because they were keeping the wine. Even though they were using the wine for this entertainment or for a Simon Mazel Tov, it was not going to Ibud. You can throw nuts, the roasted nuts or wheat kernels, and walnuts in front of them. That's only true if it's in the summertime. Not in the wintertime, because in the wintertime, the ground is wet and muddy. And if you throw the nuts, they're going to get all ruined. You can't throw cakes or pieces of delicacies. Not in the summer, not in the winter, because they are going to get ruined. And Tosa points out, In our day, They throw wheat in the... House of the groom. Make sure you only throw them in clean places, because otherwise you have this problem of ibud ochlim. So the Gemara discusses here is that you're allowed to use ochlim for entertainment, for other things besides eating, as long as the food won't lose its your ability or utility as a food, and then it can be eaten afterwards. So you're allowed to use the food for these alternatives, as long as the food doesn't get ruined by these alternatives. What happens if someone puts food into their mouth and they did not make a bracha? You push it to one side, and then you make the bracha. There's another bread that says you swallow them. And a third bread that says you spit them out. And the third bread, which is similar to the statement of Rabbi Yehuda, is you put them to the side. So you have three options. Spit it out, swallow it, or put it to the side. Lokash, the Gemara explains what are the three options here. The one that says you swallow them is with liquids. By liquids, you have no choice now. What's your choice with liquids? Either to spit it out. You spit out liquids, they're ruined. Nobody's going to drink that again. You can't push them to the side because because you can't say the bracha then. When you push them to the side and you fill up your cheek, you're not going to have the ability to make the bracha anymore because the liquids are going to spill out as you're speaking. 
So therefore, what's your only choice is the volan. You swallow them. Hadatan poltan, the one that says you spit them out, bimidi lo mais. Stand something that won't become disgusting. It's a hard object. Like, for instance, there's like a hard candy. Something like that gum. You could take it out of your mouth. It won't become disgusting by removing it. Take it out, you make the bracha. The one that says you push them to the side is bimidi de mais. Something that would be disgusting if you took it out. I mean, if you have some sort of soft item that if you took it out of your mouth it would become disgusting when you took it out and you would no longer eat it, that you push to the side and you make the bracha. So, something that doesn't become disgusting, why spit it out? Just push it to the side. Why are we demanding that you spit it out? If pushing it to the side is sufficient, then why spit it out? Because it says, that my mouth should be filled with your praise. So that's the principle that one should not be davening when they're chewing gum or have a candy in their mouth. Because your mouth should be full of the praises of Hashem. There should be nothing else in your mouth. If I have an option to make it that way, and to say the bracha without anything else in my mouth, I'm going to opt for that option. So in a case where it's not disgusting to take it out, we're going to say take it out. Where I have no choice, and if I take it out, the food's going to be ruined, then I say push it to the side and make the bracha. Even though it's not the optimal solution. And that's why the Gemara doesn't offer that solution for something that's midi de la mice, because it's not the optimal solution. The optimal solution is to have a clear mouth, and to have an empty mouth in order to say the praises of Hashem. Someone who ate and drank, but didn't make a bracha, bracha rishona. Can they go back and make the bracha rishona later on? The answer is amazing. I love his answer. Certain a person who ate garlic and his breath stinks. You should eat more garlic so his breath stinks even more. What's the point of adding insult to injury? If you didn't make a bracha when you first ate, were you going to keep eating without making a bracha? No. You make a bracha and then you continue to eat. There's no reason not to make a bracha now. What's done is done. What you did wrong is done wrong. Now if you're going to eat, you've got to make a bracha to continue to go forward from this point forward. It's like just like the mashal. If you eat garlic and your breath stinks, to eat more garlic, it's not going to make your breath any better. It's not going to make the situation better. The same thing I say with regards to fast days. People always think, oh, I ate by a steak, someone ate on a fast day. Oh, I ate already. I should continue to eat it. That's not right. If you ate, you made a mistake. You continue to fast afterwards because it has nothing to do with the fact that you ate already. So the same idea here. Do not add insult to injury. So Ravina suggests over here that even if you finished eating completely, you can still make the bracha. You only make a bracha on a tevila after you went to the mikveh. You go to the mikveh, you come out, you're tahor, so then you only make the bracha afterwards. The Gemara says, what type of comparison is this? Well, oh, he, the two cases are not parallel. When he's going into the mikveh, he's someone's not ra'ui to make a bracha. That's why he has to make the bracha only after he comes out of the mikveh. Over here in the original situation, he was ra'ui to make the bracha. He didn't make the bracha. And now he's done with his meal, he can't make the bracha. Now he was nitcheh. He should have made the bracha earlier. If he didn't make it, then there's no longer the ability to make it. So again, as long as you have more to eat in the meal, you can make the bracha then on what you have to eat. If you finish the meal, you cannot make the bracha. Tvila, no, you can't do it. Now why is it that he's a garbage lo chazi? person who's tamei can make bracha. There's no problem with being tamei and making a bracha. Rashi claims that robes of lim, That most of the people go to the mikveh of balikari. And we saw before that Balkari is not allowed to make a bracha. So he's not allowed to make a bracha, therefore he couldn't make the bracha before and he has to make it afterwards. Tosafot says that doesn't seem to make sense. 
And therefore, Tosfat says that the case is a tefillah and ger. If you love a ger, a ger goes to the mikveh to become a Jew, to convert. When he goes into the mikveh, he's gavad al-chazi. He's not roi because he's not Jewish. When he comes out of the mikveh, then he's a Jew, then he can make the bracha. Ah, what about all other times people go to the mikveh, there should be no problem. Tosfat said it's a low plug. The Chavim instituted a low plug because of tefillah and ger. There are certain instances where a person is not roi to do it. And therefore, because of that one case, they made all brachas of tefillah afterwards. He says the same thing is true of netilat yadayim. Why do we make a bracha of netilat yadayim afterwards? Because sometimes the person goes to the bathroom, and then they wash their hands, and they're not ready to say the bracha until they've washed the yadayim. Once they've washed the yadayim, then they can make the bracha, because they've gone to the bathroom, now they can't make a bracha. They'll only make the bracha after they wash the yadayim. So Tosa says, Boplug. Every time we wash the yadayim now, we make bracha afterwards, even though... You were a gabaroi. Now, you want to go eat a meal right now? Wash your dime. You should be able to make the bracha beforehand over the siyatan. No, because of the instance where you have a problem, which is that you go to the bathroom, and then you wouldn't be roi to make the bracha until after the tila Therefore, in all cases, until the dime, make a little plug. You wash your hands and then make the bracha. Same here with, with uh, tevila. Everybody makes the bracha on tevila afterwards, not before, because of the tevila ta'ger. Okay, we'll stop over here.